So we should be back with the recordings again. I apologize for a several week break if you've been trying to find them. The recorder decided to die and Jesus didn't come to give recorders resurrection life. So we should be good. We're in Luke 10 today. We are in verse 25 to start. So if you want to start turning there, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Does anyone know that parable? Like the general gist of the parable of the Good Samaritan, some guy going down a road, gets beaten, left for dead, a guy comes by, maybe two guys come by, a third guy comes by, a Samaritan guy helps him out. It's Good Samaritan, right? Well, what is that about? I'll argue. It's the best known, least understood parable in all of Christendom and the world beyond as well. So think about this. What are we supposed to do in light of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Go and be nice to people? To what end? You ever think about it? Most people know verses 30 to 35. That's the story. But there's a context. There's 25 to 37. And as, as a professor of mine used to say, a text... Well, how, how, let, me, let me see how he said it right. I wrote it down here. He said it better than I say it. A text without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. Don't you like that? A text without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. And here's, here's what that means in common vernacular. If you take a text out of its intended context, you can make anything in Scripture say whatever you want it to say. Got that? Kind of like, don't judge. Doesn't the Bible say don't judge? God is love. Love is blind, so that means that God is Ray Charles if you do it that way. What's the context that we find the parable of the Good Samaritan? We have Luke telling us who Jesus is, how we know who he is, why he came and what he's going to do. In chapter 9, we pivot into a discipleship class with Jesus and his disciples as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. We got a lesson on denying self, taking up your cross and following him. Pride, mercy, total commitment, joy in our names are written in heaven, and joy found in the sovereignty and love of God amongst his people. And all of that brings us up to verse 25, where we see a very private conversation held in a public setting. It's a double discourse. I'll show you that in a minute. But a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, being Jesus, said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place saw him, passed by on the what? Other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went out to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, being the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. It's probably the Good Samaritan. It's a double discourse, and what you have is the lawyer asking a question, Jesus responding by asking another question. He's basically avoiding a rabbit trail. The lawyer answers Jesus' question. Jesus answers the lawyer's questions. It happens twice. And in this double discourse, you have this parable. So here's the question. What is this parable about? It's actually about how to inherit eternal life. Don't miss this. It's not, if you're driving to church and you, you see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire, stop and help them like a good Samaritan. I'm not saying you shouldn't stop to help them, but that's not what this text is about. This is crazy talk. Lawyer, theologian, Bible scholar, in the land it was under the law of God, so theologians, Bible scholars had lawyerly functions. That's why he's called a lawyer. And he got up, stood up, showing respect, and standing up in a sign of respect, though with a heart that hated Jesus, he thought, thought, sought, there it is, to put Jesus to the test. And so he asked him a question. Let me go this way, and I'll be back in Luke rather than Romans, and it makes more sense. You know, Romans 11 and Luke 11, very different texts. He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Side note, do you know people live forever? Did you know that? Death is not the end. Death is a transition. But from the day you are born, every person lives forever. The question is, do you go to a better place or a worse place? There's no options, heaven or hell. But every person is eternal. Just chew on that for a minute. It should affect drastically not only how you steward your own life, but how we love and care for others. So he says to him, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus is, at times in our cultural context, we might argue the worst evangelist ever. Because you should say, Jesus pulled out a Bible tract, and he invited the lawyer to pray the sinner's prayer and to accept him. And then encourage him, right? What does Jesus do? How do you inherit eternal life? He says to him, I love our Lord. So he's funny. He says, you're the Bible scholar? You're going to test me? Tell me. Isn't that great? And he says, all right, I'll tell you. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 6. Kind of, he's going to drop something on Jesus. He doesn't know his Bible verse. It's like, I know the author. Pretty, pretty cool dude. And he says to him, all right, you're right. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say? Do this and what's going to happen? You'll live. Is he joking? He's dropped dead serious. If you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you don't need grace. You're perfect. Do that and you'll live. In reality, it's also what's required of all of us. 
You will not see God unless you have loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You will not. Jesus did it in your place. Stick with me. So the lawyer's like, all right, I got this in his head, seeking to justify himself. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm kosher. Go to the feast. Memorize scripture. I tithe my mint and cumin and dill. I'm good with the God thing, but behold I here, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Who do I got to love? Interesting, Leviticus 19 tells us not only those of your own sons, those who are your own people, but the foreigner and the exile. Did you know that? This guy knows the Bible, but he distorts the Bible to, to serve his own ends. It says in verse 34, You shall treat the stranger, Leviticus 19, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I'm not going to get into a political discourse here. I'm going to keep it biblical. But this guy knows who your neighbor is. It's everybody. So Jesus, rather than saying, You fool. You're the Bible scholar. You know Leviticus 19. Tell me what it says. He says to him, who's my neighbor? Desiring to justify himself? Jesus says, I got a story for you, bud. Guys going from Jerusalem to Jericho goes down. It's a 17-mile, 4,000-foot drop. That's why it says goes down. Dangerous road geographically and practically with robbers. And he goes down, and he gets beaten and robbed and stripped naked, left half dead. But by chance, I love Jesus telling this story. He's trying to give you a little hope. Guy's going to die, but by chance, priest comes by. Sorry, and you, who comes first? Help me out, folks. Thank you. There we go. Priest comes by. Priest knows the law of God. This is one who lifts the people up to God and brings God to the people. He knows Leviticus 19. He knows Exodus, what is it, 20, 23? 23, 4, and 5. How to care for a donkey? You certainly care for people better than donkeys. Amen? He knows Micah 6, 8. Y'all know Micah 6, 8? Nobody got the coffee cup? What does the Lord require of you? Do you know? Whatever you want, it doesn't matter. You're under grace, right? Wrong. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So here comes the priest. He knows the word of God. He knows the commands of God. And he sees this guy half dead, stripped naked. And he just... <laughs> off he goes. Doesn't love God. Doesn't, why do I say he doesn't love God? Didn't keep his commandments. Doesn't love his neighbor. He inherited an eternal life. People say to me, well, why, why didn't he stop? What was he thinking? Commentators write about this. You want a fun little story? It's not a real event. It's a story. There is no priest in real life. It's a story. He can't think because he doesn't exist. I don't know why he didn't stop. It's a story. With one point. We'll get there. Levite. Kind of like a low-level priest helper. That's what Levites were. They were temple administrators. He knows the word of God. Doesn't love God, doesn't obey his commandments, doesn't love his neighbor. 
Now a dirty, nasty Samaritan, enemy of the Jews, the lowliest of the low comes by. Dude's got splankies on my. Anybody got splankies on my? <laughs> you know what the word splankies on my means? Well, it says it in your Bible. It says compassion, and it's a really bad translation. It's not wrong, but great love and affection for. He has great love and affection for an enemy of his. He stops in compassion and love with mercy to love an enemy and binds up his wounds with the first aid kit off his donkey's rump. Amen? What did he bind his wounds up with? Well, he used his wine and oil to clean the wounds. That's what he was going to cook and drink. He ne- that's his provision. Pour up his clothes to bind his wounds. His own stinking clothes. Then he got off his ride and put the guy in the ride and walked side by the ride. Took him to an inn, paid for roughly 20 days stay. That's what you get for two denarii. Leaves an open tab. You got anything else, charge it to me. Opens himself up to extortion. He even stayed up all night tending to this guy. You say, where do you get that, Pastor? Where do you get that, Pastor? Why'd he stay for the night? It wasn't the holiday inn with a comfy bed. So I'm going to use your jacuzzi. I'm paying for this sucker anyway. Ties his donkey up. He's in gnarly places. He tends to the guy all night. At expense to him, opening up potential for for being ripped off, giving up his own ride, paying from his own provisions, using his own food for drinking and cooking, tearing up his clothes. Friends, this is not minimal care. This is maximum compassion. This is loving God by keeping his commandments and loving your neighbor. Hold on a minute. Have you ever, listen to me, don't miss this. Have you ever loved somebody like this? Maximum compassion. I mean, you give up the shirt off your back to bind up their wounds. You take the last morsel of your food to care for them. You hand over your wallet. Here you go. Use all the cash and credit cards. Whatever you need, you need more. Let me know you want to rip me off. So be it. Take my car. I walk to work. Have you ever, ever loved anyone like this? The answer is yes. Do you know who it is? You. I'm being serious. Do you ever say, oh, I'm hungry, and then talk back to yourself, no, I'm not paying for your food today. <laughs> you ever say, oh, I got to use the restroom. You do this with kids, right? I got to pee so bad. You're going to have to hold it. But if I'm talking to myself, I got to stop. We're stopping. Woo. Right? If I'm hurt, y'all going to hear about it. You're going to be petitioned to pray for it, and I'm going to bind it up. Right? Please, you can give me your car, but I'm driving mine. This is why the Lord says in Matthew, love one another as you love yourself. Because y'all got splankies on my for yourself. But here's what loving others is about. Loving them like you love you. And this Samaritan stopped to love him. Listen, this ain't even his kid. It's an enemy. And he stops to love the enemy as he loves himself, keeping God's commandment. 
Good story, Jesus, huh? He says, so, big fella. It's in the Greek. It says big fella. It's just, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? He doesn't say, who's my neighbor? He says, who's being neighborly? Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You know what the, the lawyer says? I hope you do. It's right in your Bible. The one who showed him mercy. Can't even say the word Samaritan, right? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus again botches, that's a joke, botches the evangelistic opportunity. What does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. He says, you, you want to be saved? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. There you go. Says the guy, go and do it. Go and hear eternal life. Bye-bye now. Now there's compassion because Jesus, first of all, replied. He didn't just smote him. He didn't just say, zip. He gave him the gospel. But the guy missed the gospel. Did the guy do it? When the lawyer left, go and do it. Did he do it? You want me to tell you the answer? Again, many, many years of, of, of training in theology, extremely well-versed in the finest institutions of higher learning, allows me, with my robust intellect, to give you the answer to this question that great scholars have pondered for generations. Did the guy perfectly love God and love his neighbor? Of course not! It's impossible! Bible makes very clear you can't do it because it also says in the text seeking to justify himself no one can justify themselves so what's going on here is Jesus first of all being serious walk into a hotel beautiful suite Monaco go watch the Grand Prix it's $5,000 a night I walk up to the front desk I'm like that's ridiculous I give you 50 give me the keys Am I getting the keys to the room? Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus, that's silly. I'm under grace. I'll try. You shall have no other gods before me. Great concept, but dude, I got some cash to worship. I'm under grace. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. God, my, my parents are fools. Come on, seriously? I'm under grace. Are God's commandments serious? I mean, hang with me here. Does God demand you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or just give him the $5 version and claim grace? Do you really have to love one another as Christ has loved us, or can we just be like, dude, Jesus is grace. These people, really, is grace. Claim the grace. How do you land this? Is this just stop and change a tire and you're good? Throw 10 bucks at the homeless guy at the intersection and you're good? Do a couple good deeds, show up to church once in a while and you're good, claim grace? I don't know, that's not what I'm reading. What I'm reading is Jesus saying, if you are not perfect in every way, you will never inherit eternal life. And if he says to me, go and do likewise, do you know what the proper answer is? I can't. I can't even care for people I love like that, let alone people I hate. Jesus, I can't, I don't, I don't even want to. 
What is wrong with me, Jesus? Jesus, I, 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 I thought I was so good and clean and strong and mighty and loving. And, and what I'm hearing from you is, I'm a blind fool. I thought I loved you. I don't love you at all. I, I hate God. I'm putting God to the test. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Be merciful to me. Forgive me. That's not what the guy said. He heard Jesus say, go and do it. He said, I got this. Now, here's the kicker. This is a, a series of lessons on discipleship. Remember, starting in 9? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Cultural Christianity. Yeah, not so much. Not so much, Jesus. Maybe a little bit, but, but not so much. Total commitment. You're totally crazy. Do you know? No. Claim grace. Show mercy. Hey, show mercy. I'm receiving mercy. I ain't showing mercy. I'm claiming grace. Do you guys, do you know what a Christian is? Let's see if I can do this out of my head. John Newton, I am not what I want to be. I am not what I was. I am not what I one day will be. But I am what I am, and I praise God. John Newton, the slave trader, you know what he means? I'm not what I used to be. I'm not a prideful, arrogant, sin-infested, God-hating fool. I am not yet what I want to be. He is not perfectly holy and righteous. He is not what he will be. But he is what he is. He is a child of God by grace through faith. Here's what a, a Christian is. This is what a Christian is not and what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has been born well, let, let's do it this way. You are required to keep God's law perfectly. Has anyone done that? Positionally speaking, has anyone kept God's law perfectly? I want you to notice my hand is actually up. Positionally before God, he sees me as if I have kept his law perfectly. Y'all been around me more than a week, you know practically I ain't pulling that off. But positionally, it's done because Jesus lived the perfect life required of me. Do you, do you understand? Jesus' life is a life of perfect obedience, not to impress you, but to credit your account when you trust in him with fulfilling the law. I could say, God, I have positionally loved you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved my neighbor as myself. Not on my credentials, but I got Jesus' account credited to me. Amen? Now, now stick with me here, because not only does he credit it to my account, he causes me to be born anew. I ain't what I was. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I am what I am, and praise God, I'm in Christ. I'm not defined by my flesh. I'm not defined by my background. I'm not defined by my limbs. I'm defined by my identity in Christ. And in that identity in Christ, empowered by the Spirit of Christ, I can do what God calls me to do. I can actually love God. Perfectly? Nope. But a little bit. I can actually love you. Perfectly? Yep. No. But a little bit. I can actually love lost people. Perfectly? No, but a little bit. I can actually go up to an enemy with splankizomai. Do you know why? Because if while I was an enemy, 
I was reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that I am reconciled shall I be saved by his life? Here's the kicker. The parable of the Good Samaritan answers the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And practically what we do is like, oh, you give 10 bucks to a homeless person and Jesus applauds you. Yay! Angels rejoice! Come on, guys. It demands spankings, oh my, and maximum compassion. How many of us pull that off? How many of us, I'm not saying do this, you'll get messed up, but how many of us invite the homeless guy into the car, hand him the keys, give him the wallet, and say, it's all yours. Don't do that. That will go bad to enable. But you follow my illustration? How about we just start in the household of God? If I needed your wallet, would you give me your wallet as your brother in Christ? What does Christ give us? All of the heavenly riches. Jesus is, in fact, the good Samaritan. Amen? In fact, he's accused of being a Samaritan with a demon. And he says, I ain't got no demon. Doesn't address the Samaritan issue. And he came down to earth where people were stripped naked in their sin, left half dead on the side of the road, abused and beaten by the devil, and in splint kizomai. He bound our wounds, amen? He anointed us with oil, amen? He applied the balm of Gilead. He carried us to be cared for. He leaves us with open credit upon all that is his, and he says, I'll come back and pay off the rest. It's not a perfect illustration, but you see where I'm going? The same spirit which Jesus walked in power of in his humanity is the same spirit that we walk in in Christ. You see, we are not saved by our love, amen, but we are known by our fruit. And the reason we bear fruit is because the Holy Spirit causes it for the glory of God. You know, when the world looks at a Christian, I wonder what they see. Do they see splankizomai or splat misery? That's not a Greek word. Do they see people walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? So if I back this all the way up to the context, Jesus says, so you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. Well, hold up, I'll come, but can I go back and get my cash from my daddy when he dies? No. Can I go say goodbye to my friend? No. Follow me. So you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Hold up, that's tough. So you want to be a disciple of Jesus. You want to be great, do you? He who comes first in the kingdom shall be last in earth. You've got to be a servant of all. So you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. So you want to be a disciple of Jesus in your Christ. Jesus, this is hard. He says, no, it's not hard. It's impossible. But I have chosen to make it possible by causing you to be born anew for my joy. Trust in me that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus, this doesn't make sense. That's right, because you're drunk on sin. 
but I've come to help recovering sin addicts to get sober and walk in sanity and righteousness. The reason we don't want to love is because we are self-idolaters and self-justifiers. Adam, in the garden when he sinned, what did he say? Lord God, I'm sorry. I'm responsible. Right? It's her fault! What's Eve say? Don't be like Eve's all innocent. Serpent's fault! Cain, Abel, they had some problems. His fault! Jacob, Esau, his fault! Constant self-justifiers. We do that, right? Here's the beauty of the gospel. It starts with this. My fault. Mm. You know how bad you are on your own? Don't we do a good job of putting makeup on a pig? Don't we make ourselves look so good? It's a bad illustration. Let's move by real quick. Don't we like to put on the facade of what a wonderful person I am? I am so... By common grace, lost people do good things. Don't misunderstand this. Lost people will give up a kidney to save someone else. Lost, pe lost people will demonstrate superficial splankizomai. But it's self-serving splankizomai. It's look at me, what a good person I am. And it's not spirit-caused splankizomai. It's a cheap substitute. My friends, the parable of the Good Samaritan is not a story about what you should do to kind of make God happy. You ever think about why do lost people love this parable so much? Isn't that crazy? Lost people think it's a great story to help them out. But it's actually an answer to a question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the answer of the parable is, you can't do it. Man, we've lost the context if lost people love this parable. When Jesus is saying, you can't inherit eternal life on your own. So start with the I can't and go to the I can because Jesus causes us to be born anew. Jesus causes us to follow him. Jesus makes us his disciples, empowers us to obey him, and conforms us to his image. That's the flow we're seeing in Luke. So if you're saved, grab onto this real tight. This is not a suggestion of Jesus. He's not saying, so listen, if you want to make me smile, you ever, you ever watch a parent who's just at wit's end? Listen, if y'all just shut your mouths, just for two minutes, clean your room, don't bicker, I'd be so happy. Please, for the love of God. My dad used to say, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? Just peace in the house. Just peace. Just, just shut up for a day. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I delight in joy for you. I will bring peace to the house. I will bring peace to the world. I have come that peace may abound. You have the peace of God. Trust in me. Look to me. See who I am and see who you are. Do you feel like you can love people like this? Hands up. Anyone think they can pull off splankies, oh my? If you're saved, you're mistaken. Because if you're saved, you can absolutely do this. You can do this because the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you do it? You do it 
And when you do it, you praise God that he has caused you to. You don't wait till you feel like it. I, I hate to tell you this, but if you're hanging on to wait until you feel like it to obey God, you're really going to struggle. You know? I'm just, God, I, I, give up, I give up this sin when I feel like it. It's like how people go to college. When I was growing up, you go and you, you sow your wild oats at college and then you come out somehow sanctified as the approach. How come that never worked? Half my friends from college, they still act like they're 19, their guts come out to here, you know, they're bald on top, and they're, hey! Apparently they need four more years. It's what happens is, delight doesn't motivate duty. Delight comes through duty, as we see that duty is a delight because of how Christ sees us. Do you see that? It's obey me, in light of who you are and who I am. And this starts all the way back in the beginning. Jesus came to save sinners. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But I don't see that well yet. See, I don't trust Jesus as fully as I should, and I don't understand the craziness of what he's talking about. So follow the flow, flaps are out, wheels are down, we're starting to land. How are you supposed to constantly deny yourself, not associate with your old self, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Anyone doing that day by day? You know why? Because functionally, you know what we do? I'm under grace! Woohoo! How many of us fight to show mercy? Fight to walk in humility. You know, functionally what happens? I'm under mercy and grace. I don't have to show it to no one. But we don't say that out loud to God. We, we don't realize that what we need to say to Jesus day by day is, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to do what you're saying. I don't feel like I can do it. Lord Jesus, help Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, sanctify me. When you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, how do you inherit eternal life? Do you, the lawyer answered it. How can you be saved? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anything short, you fail. What do you do with that? That's what Jesus said. Lord Jesus, how am I supposed to do that? I can't. And he says, you're right. But I can. I did. It's done. Tetelestai. It is finished. You are positionally perfect with God when you recognize your sin, when you cry out to God for forgiveness, and God has made you new in Christ. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by his work but we're known by our fruit. It's not the quantity on the tree, but is there fruit on the tree? You can, yeah, anyone here have like defining things about themselves by how they were brought up? Well, I'm a pessimist. I'm a negative person. I'm an angry person. I'm a scared person. I'm a selfish person. I'm a shy person. I'm a timid person. I, I'm not comfortable in front of people. Yeah, how many of us define ourselves like that? I'm not a generous person. I'm not a hospitable person. I'm introverted. I'm extroverted. I'm, right? That's genetics. 
but we got a supernatural revamp. I am a child of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am capable of love. I am capable of obedience. I am capable of glorifying God because I'm not what I was. I'm not yet what I will be practically, but positionally I am a child of God. And God causes and enables me to keep his commandments. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle, and God gives us the resources to fight. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his word to be rightly stewarded. He gives us the fellowship of believers to be rightly stewarded. And he gives us the armor of God to be rightly donned. And as we do, little by little, as we rejoice in the splankizomai that Jesus has shown us, we are able to splankizomai others. Fail to steward his word? Fail to live as he calls us to in the fellowship of believers? Fail to don the armor of God? What do you got? Best case scenario, a child of God, battle scarred from a spiritual battle, malformed, living in rebellion to their heavenly father, who is saved still by grace through faith, but will struggle to enjoy the God of their salvation and glorify him. Worst case scenario, one of those folks that Jesus says, away from me, never knew you. But can I ask a question? Why would we look for the outs? Why would we try, try to rationalize disobedience? You see, the, the lawyer did it here beautifully. Lawyer knows scripture. And he knows Leviticus 19.18. So he says to Jesus, all right, all right. All right, Mr. Big Shot. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, right? Now we're all sitting there going, what? But this is a God-honoring, God-loving lawyer, right? He knows scripture. So he don't even have to flip over here and go, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, so Jesus, as a Samaritan on the side of the road, I don't have to stop just if it's a Jew, right? I mean, did I just read scripture? The sons of your own people. But wait, it says in 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. See, we're, we're, we're dangerous in twisting scripture as opposed to coming to Christ and asking him what he desires of us. If Jesus says love, why do we not want to love? If Jesus sticks out his hand and says to you about the most precious thing in your life, give that to me. You know that hesitancy we all feel? Why? Because in the flesh we think he's going to rob us of joy. It starts with talking to someone like the lawyer, someone trying to justify themselves. He says, set your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, glorious, complete. He says, give me, give me the keys to your life. It's all mine anyway, I'm driving. And we're like, you understand, you don't even know how to move that car. He's trying to drive you home to glory. Right? Then little by little, day by day, he says, give me your time. It's mine. Let me tell you how to use it. We're like, not today. What do you think Jesus is going to do with you? What did he want to do with this lawyer? Well, he came to save him. He came to sanctify him. He came to glorify him. 
You came to live with him forever. No, not this lawyer because he was self-righteous, but those who turned to him. When Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, it is incredibly hard. In fact, it is impossible on your own. But you can do it because he will cause you to by his power at work within you. Think percentages? Don't aim for 100. Aim for 0.01%. Because if you can even love God 0.01% of your being, you can praise God with 100% of your being because there's no capacity in the flesh to love God at all. Then God works in the process to increase that percentage, if you will. Parable of the Good Samaritan. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You must love your neighbor as, a Samarit- as the Samaritan loved the stripped-down guy on the side of the road with splankizomai. Here's the good news. It's how Jesus loved us. It's what God requires of us. And Jesus satisfied that on our behalf. But Jesus also causes us to be born anew. So for his glory, bearing fruit in his spirit, go and love one another as Christ has first loved you. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for these parables we're just getting into and we'll come to many more in the book of Luke. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the truth from your word and implant them deeply in our heart. And any additional dross I may have added on would be quickly forgotten and blown away. Lord Jesus, help us to remember the mighty works you have done. You are the one who has created all things, who sustains all things. Be it so often in your word, you attribute the greatest works you have done to saving your people. Lord God, remind us of who we once were and who we truly are. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to see one another in light of how you see us. I pray that the next time we get annoyed with someone, brother or sister in Christ, the next time we grow weary of them, the next time at least inside we think, ugh, we might be reminded of who that person really is and how you see them. And Holy Spirit, by your power, that we would see them in light of that truth. That we would see ourselves in light of the truth of who we are. And that we would see you. Lord God, we were dead on the side of a road. But you caused us to be born anew. You've equipped us by new birth and through the power of your spirit to be able to live like you did in your humanity. To follow you to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, to walk in humility, to show mercy, to demonstrate heartfelt splankizomai to others. Lord, we confess on our own we have zero interest in this. But in your power, by your spirit, through the new heart you've implanted in us, We rejoice that we do desire to do this even just a little bit. Holy Spirit, break up the fallow ground of our heart. Entice us with the beauty of the gospel. Entice us through the reality of who you are, Yahweh. And as we leave upstairs today, cause us to be bold and trust in you, Lord God. 
by loving you and loving others with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, through which we can only give you glory, because on our own we cannot do that, but you will cause us to. When we are weak, then we are strong. Lord, allow us to see our weakness in being able to obey you in the flesh, and the strength we have as we walk in the Spirit for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.